Right, let's, um, yeah, let, let's read the scriptures now. Uh, and of course, the message of that uh, passage is very important because uh, the promise of God to Abram is under attack the whole way through Genesis and actually uh, right throughout the whole of the Bible that God's going to make for himself a people and he's going to save them by the Savior uh, and that um, promise is attacked. Here we see again the promise in a sense being renewed in chapter 15. Genesis 15, we're just going to read the first six verses. That's what we're going to study tonight. This is the word of God. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. We finish our reading there, and we indeed trust God to speak to our hearts about these things later on. Let's pray now as we worship the King. Lord, uh, thank you for an opportunity to sing and to pray. We have brought our songs of praise as love offerings to you, uh, the, the Lord indeed who is our strength, our rock and our fortress and our deliverance. You're worthy of all praise, the keeper of promises, the one who is indeed the Lord. You're worthy of all praise. Help us as a people to hear you. Help us as a people to look to you. Because all around us we have lies and liars. We have false gospels and false teachers. And we long, we simply long for the truth of the gospel to be written on our hearts, for the hope that comes from Jesus to be experienced in every aspect of our being, that we might have life and have it to the full. Death is all around us. We are dying people in a dying world, and we need the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. We need the one who is the resurrection and the life. We need the one who had no sin, but became sin for us, so that in him, the Lord Jesus Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. And so we need to believe. And there's so much around us that leads us not to believe. Help us to believe in our heads with all the knowledge that we require. And help us to believe in our hearts with the conviction uh, that we truly are believing in this truth. 
And then help us to believe in our wills that we might be truly converted. Forgive us when we doubt you. Forgive us when we question you, when we limit you, when we look in ourselves for the answer or around us for the answer or we look down into the world for the answer. When we do not look up, we pray you'll help us to look up to the one who is our shield, our protector, our savior, our very great reward. Help us to look to the one who is the gift and the giver. And tonight as we meet in this place, we ask God that you will lead us into truth and into blessing. And may we enjoy and be challenged by your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And we're going to look at these first um, six verses. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you that you know us. You know our deep need. You know our tears, our very thoughts, our concerns. And you know the state of our souls. We pray that tonight you will visit us. You will speak to each of us. And that we might indeed uh, know the joy of being able to say, we are yours. We are saved. Uh, We're part of your kingdom. We're part of your family. Uh, Help us, Lord, now to understand these things. Teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What is your favorite Old Testament verse? Or maybe should I ask the question, what do you think is the greatest Old Testament verse? I suppose you could go for a variety of those verses. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's a good one. Uh, Or or what about Isaiah 9 verse 6? We'll be thinking about that very shortly as we come to Christmas. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That might be a favorite of yours. Or what about Job 19.25? For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. Or maybe it, it could be part of Psalm 23. I suppose we could pick any part of Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. But can I suggest that actually Genesis 15 and verse 6, my clicker's not working, <laughs> if you could maybe put it on to, to that slide. Um, the, to me, that's my favorite verse now. It might change, who knows, in the future, but at the minute, that's my favorite verse. I think it's the most important verse uh, in Genesis. It might even be the most important verse uh, in the Old Testament, maybe even in the whole of the Bible. Some would argue that. James Montgomery Boyce, for instance, would argue that. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. That's the first time the word believe is mentioned in the Bible. It's the first time the word righteousness is mentioned in the Bible. It's the first time faith in God is spelt out. So it's very, very important This verse spells out the great doctrine of justification by faith. And it's quoted in the New Testament in Romans 4, twice, in Galatians 3, and in James 2. This is a very important passage. 
And this is a very important verse in that passage. Calvin said that justification by faith was the hinge of the gospel. Luther described justification by faith as the chief doctrine from which all other doctrines flow. It's, it's a cornerstone doctrine. In other words, if you get this verse, verse 6, into your head and into your soul, if you get verse 6 right, then the outflow of that will be a hundred plus other doctrines you will get right. But if you get this verse wrong, it'll lead to many errors or maybe even heresies. That's why this verse is so very important. This doctrine brings salvation to the soul and it brings safety to the church. This verse and the doctrine that goes with it, justification by faith, deals with the fundamental need of every human being. Everyone here tonight, everybody listening to this service later, everybody in the whole world, in time, right past and into the future, the fundamental need of every human being. How can a sinful individual be right with a holy God? That is the key question of theology. And in verse 6 we have... A holy God, the Lord. We have a sinful man, Abram. And we have the way of salvation, belief. That's the fundamental question of time, of history, of theology. How can a sinner like you and me be right before God? Every other perceived need is very much secondary. Vocation, location, education, anything with ION at the end of it, you can add the list. They're all relatively important, of course, but they're not the priority. Justification by faith is the most important issue. You need to understand it, and you need to receive the blessing of it. How can we be accepted before him? Of course, there are many answers Supplied in the, in the world of religion. Uh, be good. Uh, be religious. Be sincere. There's things like good works. Join a church. Give to charity. Help the poor. Wonderful things in themselves. But they cannot make us righteous. See, this righteousness before God must be given to you. You can't earn it. You can't purchase it. So I would say that Genesis 15 verse 6 is the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. It's the Mount Everest of Genesis. It is the most important verse, perhaps in the whole of the Bible, because of its location right here at the beginning of the story. At the beginning of the story, you see, of the church, of the people of God. God is telling us how people like you and me can be part of his people. This is is crucial. And we should never tire of hearing it. If you're tempted to say, oh, justification by faith, I've heard that since I was a child, you need to hear it again and again and again. Our hearts need to be warmed so that we will go to others and bring this message to them. Can we summarize justification by faith? Well, there's one um, definition. Even though we are sinful to the core, we can receive the perfect and eternal righteousness of God because of what Jesus Christ has purchased 
for us in his substitutionary death on the cross. A bit wordy, I know, but you get the idea. We're sinful to the core, but we can be righteous because of Jesus. I mean, this is the gift of all gifts. This is the pre-paid free gift that God has for the likes of you and me based on Jesus and his work and then transferred to us to be our eternal possession. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. We've got um, four, I suppose, main headings or three. Um, sorry, I'm gonna, this is not working. Or, let me see, there might be another one. There's not. Um, or if, if you want to bring it up to me, I, I can take it off you. But um, the first point is in verse one, this declaration. Uh, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. So God speaks to Abram again. Those words after this covers a lot of time and a lot of experiences. Uh, it describes the, the call of God, his failure in Egypt, his separation from Lot, and his rescue of Lot that you looked at last Sunday evening. Now the stage is set, and the appointed time for the, the clear step of faith that Abram was required to make was, has come. This, this stage is not ready. And all the people are in position, and it's time now for faith. So Abram was no longer a spiritual novice, you know, but what he had been through must have taken a toll on him, not just physically and emotionally, but also spiritually. Whether he might have been aware of it or not, he was probably wrecked. And maybe he was beginning to doubt. And he certainly seems to be full of fear. So conscious of his condition and needs, the Lord actually comes to him. Isn't it interesting? The Lord comes to him and deals with him and speaks to him. I remember the time that I first came across that wee song, He Knows My Name. I think I was once suggested to the praise team many years ago. At the time when I was feeling a bit down and a bit of need, and I came across the song, the song spoke to my heart. Um, and that's why it means so much to me. And God does that, you see. And he comes to Abram when Abram seems to be in need. This is a crossroads experience, a brand new scene. Abram, do you believe? Abram, will you believe? And notice it's a vision, not a dream. So Abram was not asleep. He was very much awake. And notice there, the word of the Lord came to Abram. If you, if you see those words written, the word of the Lord came to, normally it's to a prophet. The word of the Lord came to Isaiah. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. And then we, we get the revelation. Well, here is a revelation. In fact, of course, as some of you may know, Abram was described as a prophet in chapter 20 and verse 7. But he comes with this almost prophetic word. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. What was Abram afraid of? Well, possibly the eastern kings 
and how they might regroup and seek their vengeance. He could have been afraid of them. He could have been afraid that, in fact, he was in the presence of the Holy God. Or he could have been afraid that all the promises made in chapter 12 will not actually come true. How could they come true with his age and state? Perhaps it's all three reasons, but certainly the third. It seems as if the promises that God had made to him, he was struggling to believe. He'd come so far. He'd been promised so much. And now he's fearing. He's afraid. How will this happen? God, how can I believe in you when you make promises that seem ridiculous and impossible? And so God gives him a simple, very clear command. Don't be afraid. And he speaks to Abram. He said, don't be afraid, Abram. He speaks to him personally. He knows his name. That's what we've been singing. He knows his fear. He knows the answer, obviously. But he knows everything that's going on in Abram's life. It's a bit like what Jesus said in John 10. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. See, the answer is the Lord himself. And look how he describes himself. I am your shield, your very great reward. In the midst of danger, he's he's saying, I will be your shield, I will be your protector, your defender, your savior. Do not be afraid, Abram. To face up to whatever is ahead of you. He's saying no one else can fulfill that role. Nothing else can do that work. I am your shield. Without me, he says, you're, you're weak, you're defenseless, you're helpless and you're hopeless. But with me, you have everything you need. Do you believe, Abraham? And what about you and me? Do we believe? He is our shield, our protector and savior. Do we believe that? It's a mighty declaration, isn't it? But then he goes on to say, your very great reward. Now, he doesn't say a wee reward. Your very great reward. God himself is Abram's reward. All that Abram needs, God will provide. All that Abram needs, really wants, God will provide. You see, God, the Lord, is the gift, but he's also the giver. He's the gift, and he's the giver. He gives Abram, and he gives us himself. That's what grace does. In himself, we have the only perfect righteousness. He gives us that, that perfect reward, that very great reward. Because all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. We're spiritually bankrupt and ruined and failed. We're spiritually bust. But he gives us the gift, the very great reward himself. And that's why 2 Corinthians 5, I put that up there because this is so important. God made Jesus, him who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That 
sacrifice of Jesus, of course, is the very great reward that many of us believe God spoke to Abram about that evening. That is what God gave to Abram. Knowledge of this particular sin offering of Christ all those years later. So that's the declaration that Abram heard. I wonder, have you heard that? Have you, have you heard these words? Do not be afraid. I am your shield, your very great reward. Have you heard that? But doubt is the second thing that we see in verses 2 and 3. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. I don't have what I need, he says. I I, I can't fulfill your promises. I haven't got the solution, God. How do you expect me to do this? And of course, he remembered back to those great promises made in chapter 12. God said to Abram, I will, I will make you a great nation. I will make you, uh, uh, your name a great name. I, I will cause you to be a great blesser. <clears throat> in fact, the whole world will be blessed because of you. Big, big promises. And yet Abram can say, but I'm childless. I'm childless. How can this happen? And he goes on to say, my financial secretary, a servant called Eliezer, he will get my inheritance. There's no future, God. This isn't just a gloomy future. This is a non-existent future. I can't believe. There was a big problem. And there didn't seem to be any solution. Now, this is the first time that we have a record of Abram speaking to God. And it's very sad that it's such a faithless complaint, isn't it? It's sad that this is the first thing he says. But at least the one thing that I find very encouraging is that at least Abram, even in his doubt, realized that life comes from God. He realizes that conception and birth is a gift, a miracle of God. Unlike, of course, Many in the modern world that seem to think that, well, there are all kinds of things they believe, but basically the unborn child has no protection or honor at all in many parts of the world, among many people. But here we have the the predicament, the difficulty, the conundrum. God promised, and yet there's no provision. That was really the, the heart of his doubt. But what Abram needs to learn and what we need to learn is that what God desires, God delivers. What God desires, God delivers. That's the essence of the gospel, is it not? What God demands of us, righteousness, he delivers for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And here we see it again in in these verses where he says, "How, how can this happen? And God says, yeah, I'll make it happen. So the declaration, don't be afraid, I am your shield, your very great reward, but the doubt, what can I give you? Thirdly, we see the direction in verses 4 and 5. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. 
He took him outside and said, look up into the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now, from a human point of view, there was no hope. From a human point of view, it was absolutely impossible. So God directs Abram's thinking negatively. First of all, this man will not be your heir. And then positively, he says, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. Verse 4. In other words, Abram, your worst fears will not be realized. Your servant will not be your heir. You're going to be a dad. Again, we need to learn that God works far and beyond the limitations of our own bodies and the constraints of age or space or time. Verse 5, he took him outside, look up to the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. It must have been after dusk by this time. He takes him outside the tent and he says, look up. I think it's implied, look up to me. Stop looking at yourself. Get your eyes off yourself. You can't provide what you need and what I have promised. You can't do it, Abram. But I can. See, a big part of faith is seeing beyond our inability, seeing beyond our control and our resources and stop looking to self. We like to be in control and the job's too big for us. Count the stars if you can, he says. And we now know what, what Abram wouldn't have known, that it's virtually impossible. It's beyond calculation. And God says, so shall your offspring be. I can do it. I will do it, says God. Will you believe? Will you believe? What is impossible for Abram and Sarah is easy for me. Believe. And to strengthen and to test your faith, we get a hint of this, do we not? I'm going to wait for a wee while longer. Uh, so shall your off, uh, offspring be. There's a, a, a little sense there, a little hint. I'm going to do it, but I'm going to wait. But I'm asking you to believe. Will you believe? And we're not just talking about physical descendants, the multi-millions of Jews. We're also talking about spiritual descendants. And we quoted, I think, right back in our first study, if you belong to Christ, you're Abram's seed and heirs according to the promise, Galatians 3.29. The book of Revelation pictures multi-millions of God's people gathered around the throne of God on that last day. All in Christ, all Abram's seed, all Abram's offspring. Well, here it is promised in verse 5. He took him outside and said, look up to the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Who will do it? Will Abram be able to do it? Or Sarah? No. It's going to be God. He said, get your eyes off yourself, Abram. Get your eyes on me, he says. Gaze on me. I can meet your needs. I can do this. But I want you to believe. And that leads us into this mighty... Verse 6, 
and uh, I don't have a, a, another, another D, so just put the verse up. Okay, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Everything, absolutely everything in Abram's life was leading up to this point. Now, there's all kinds of discussions about whether this was the point of saving faith for Abram, or did he come to saving faith back in chapter 12, and this is simply a renewal of that faith? There's big debate. I really don't think it matters a great deal. But it's crucial that we understand what makes faith or belief a saving experience. That's what's key for us tonight. Because the focus is really not on Abram and his relationship with God. It's, it's you and your relationship with God, me and my relationship with God. And there's three parts to saving faith. And I, I'm going to ask you, have you gone through these three stages? Is this the understanding experience of faith uh, as far as you're concerned? Head, heart, will. Knowledge, conviction, conversion. Head, let's start with that one. Head means a knowledge, the stuff that we've got to, in a sense, understand in our heads. The biblical truth, the facts of Christianity, the information alone can't save us, of course, but it's important we have this information. We can't be saved without it. For instance, imagine tonight there's a fire in the building. Knowing where the emergency fire doors are is good information, isn't it? Do you know where the fire doors are? I feel like a hostess, you know? All right, there. Knowing where the fire doors are is important, but knowing where they are isn't enough. We've got to go through them. You need to know where they are, of course, and you do now, and that's useful. So what do we need to know to have the ability to believe? Well, actually, not a great deal, would you believe it? The more you can know, the better. But I think there's three things you definitely need to know, possibly four. First one is this. Creation, God made it. Fall, sin wrecked it. Redemption, Jesus fixes it by his death on the cross. And glorification, one day we're going home forever. If you understand that, then you've got enough head knowledge to believe. You can know a lot of other things too, but that's the essential you need to understand. Then the heart. See, it moves from the head, in a sense, to the heart. Conviction. It means we're convinced that all the facts that we have just mentioned are true, and we believe them personally. It's not just a matter of, oh, I know that some people believe these things. I actually believe them for myself. We've gone from 18 inches from our head into our heart. But again, that's not enough. That's not enough. There's a third part to it. That's the will. That's the act of conversion itself. Personal trust and reliance on God. Because knowing and believing the content of the Christian faith is not enough. Even the demons do that. And Shudder, we're told in James 2. Faith that is effectual only if one personally trusts in Christ alone for salvation. So it's one thing to accept the facts in our head. It's another thing to accept the facts personally. It's an altogether different thing 
to place our personal trust in Jesus. Because Jesus said, you remember in John 1, we'll be looking at very shortly in the morning up before Christmas. How do we become children of God? We believe and we receive. The third part is the conversion part, the receiving. Or maybe let me put it another way. You can know there is a narrow gate that leads to life. And you can come right up and stand before that narrow gate and realize that's the narrow gate. That's the narrow gate to life. I know it's the narrow gate to life, and I know I need to go through that gate. But you will never know the perfect righteousness of Christ unless you go through the gate. And I think there are far too many people in our churches right across our land know that there's a narrow gate. And they maybe have even come up close to it and stood before it. And they know they should go through. But they've never gone through. In other words, they've got the head knowledge. They may even have the heart knowledge. But they've never allowed that to get into their wills so that they are converted. When Abram did this, we're not sure, but the report of verse 6 is very clear. He was saved. He was saved. By this time, or at this time, Abraham was saved. He took the last step from darkness to light, from death to life, from ignorance to truth, and from theory to experience. And his confidence and his certainty was in God and in the promises of God. Notice some we phrases where we're running out of time here, but we'll, let, let's spend a wee bit more time this verse, and then we'll, we'll, we'll sum it all up. Notice how personal it is. Abram. Not Sarah and Lot and uh, the 318 soldiers and all the others. No. Not a grip decision. Not because he was part of a gathering. No one else could do this believing. He did it. He did it. Personally. Completely, decisively done. No other way, no other person. Abram believed. But notice that it was believing that Abraham, that's what happened to him. He believed. Nothing else. It wasn't believe and works. Believe and try harder. Believe and be religious. No, believe on its own. Just saving faith. Just saving belief. Kevin DeYoung uh, talks about uh, faith and belief. Um, it's not like a drink. It's like a straw. I thought I'd bring that along, even for the younger ones tonight. Haven't we got patriotic colors in Richill? That's the only straw I could get here in the building. But how do we get the content of Jesus into here? Well, it's like faith's like the straw. I'm thirsty, so I'm going to take a wee drink. That's so nice. The experience is wonderful. The content of the gospel into me through the conduit or the way of faith. I find that particularly helpful. Faith and belief is the straw in the drink by which the water comes into our mouth and satisfies our thirst. Belief is crucial it's valuable because it joins us to God. It links us to his promises. 
Yes, he believed the Lord, but it wasn't vague belief. It was belief in God, where he received God and the contents of the gospel. You see, it's not faith or belief that saves. It's Jesus who saves. Faith brings Jesus into our lives. you get that? If you don't understand what I've just tried to say there, and I didn't say it the way I really wanted to say it, then I want you to come and ask me afterwards, because this is too important to get this wrong. It's not faith, it's not the straw that saves us. It's the content of the gospel that saves. Faith is the way we get it into us. Abram believed, and God was a shield, and God was his very great reward, and he was saved. Are you tonight saved? Are you sure you're saved? Do you know it? And the result, of course, is what it was. He credited to him as righteousness. God credited to him as righteousness. So what is the it? Is it the believing? No. Not the believing process. The it is Jesus. He credited Jesus to him as righteousness. Let me explain that. You may think it's a bit odd, but let me explain that. Imagine you're in God's courtroom tonight. I'm in the dock. A list of all my sins is read out against me. Uh, A long list. I stand hopeless and lost and guilty and condemned. And I, I wait the sentence. What do I deserve? I mean, what do I deserve for all my sin? Hell is what I deserve. That would be just and that would be fair. And the judge is just about to... To, to issue the sentence and someone comes into the dock and stands beside me. And my sentence is given to him. My penalty is paid by him. Do you know the, who the him is? Yeah, it's Jesus. Jesus becomes my substitute. He pays my sin by dying on the cross. So when God looks at me, he doesn't see me. He doesn't see my sin. He sees his son's righteousness. That's the it there. He credited it to him as righteousness. How do we know that? Because Jesus told it, told us. John 8 verse 56. This is what Jesus um, said to the Jews. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. That is the it. You see, the Old Testament saints were saved in Christ. The New Testament saints were saved in Christ. And today's saints are saved in Christ. It's all about Jesus. Have you believed? If you have believed in Christ, then God will credit him and his sacrifice to you as your righteousness. It's all about Jesus. As we end, we've got to listen to God more and stop listening to the lies all around us. We've got to listen to the truth of the gospel. We've got to look to God more because there are all kinds of idols and around us. He alone is the truth. 
our ears and our eyes will lead us to Jesus. And when we're in him, when he is in us, when we have believed, we are righteous. And nothing can change that. No one can change that. And we take this great gift and we live it out for the glory of our God. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. That's my favorite verse. I think it's the most important verse in Genesis. May God bless you as this verse, I hope, will ring in your minds throughout this week. And as we live for his glory, let's go out from this place being determined to do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you have been here in our midst. You have been teaching us about the most important thing in all of time and in all of space. How can we be right with the Holy God? We thank you that you have written this truth in our hearts. And we pray that we will understand it, believe it, know the benefit of it, and then live for your glory going forward. We pray that indeed our lives this week will be lives filled with grace and with a desire to honor you and worship you. Hear our prayers because we bring them in the name of the righteous one, the Lord Jesus. Amen.